Jamie, I have hit the big time. You know I've been reviewing for a good few years now and I've built up quite an nest egg with all the money I get for, for the reviews I do on the site. I obviously get paid for all of them because, you know, that's how this system has to work. And now, uh, now I've got a good nest egg. And I think this might be us uh, basically coming to the end of Brainwaves, really. I mean, I don't really need to do it anymore. I've got all this cash. Oh, uh, that's, uh, that's, I'm, I'm just going to go and live on an island, really. That's that's a little bit awkward. Um, I was coming to tell you the same thing. Uh, not that I've made any money. Oh, I haven't made any money from this, for goodness sake. No, I've decided that with pestilence, war, famine, and death stalking the land, I thought I'd become a doomsday prophet, you know. Abandon all hope, uh, burn your board games, although that's going to add more to the climate crisis, but uh, the end is nigh, you know, that kind of thing. I'll work on my pitch later. I mean, it's 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 not a great pitch, I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. Well, you know, I mean, it's doomsday, I'm not going to get reviews in the stage, am I? I? I mean, if you pay me, I'll review it. <laughs> Please, do you think doomsday profits make a lot of money? I, I, I honestly don't know. Do doomsday profits make a lot of money? I, I haven't really researched this. Um, I thought I'd go on it on a spur of the moment, you know. But uh, anyway, um, I'll see you later, Ian, okay? Yeah, cool. Right, uh, repent, uh, uh, all ye who enter money, here. Money, money. A few moments later. Kind of bored. Ah, my throat's really sore. Uh, I've only been doing this for oh, a whole minute. Oh, how long do I have left yeah. in my life? No, I can't be bothered with this. Should we do another Look, episode? Should we just yeah, do another episode? Another episode, yeah. cool. Well, one more, at least. At least one more. I'm Ian McAllister. And I'm Jamie Adams. And this is Brainwaves episode 78, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 26th of July, 2021. Ian is retiring off his massive profits from reviewing. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And it's a double award header this time, as the Spieler des Jahres are awarded and the Diana Jones nominees are revealed. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Fantastic pronunciation there, Jamie. Uh, Oliver has also been teaching you well. Yes, this subject of paid reviews has reared its ugly head once more, and it seems that this issue comes around every few months in the board gaming twitsphere like a bad penny. This time it has been the turn of Jamie Stegmeier, owner of Stonemaier Games, to throw the accusations about. In a piece entitled... Is it unethical to pay the media to form and broadcast their opinion? He said that he knew some people shop around price lists for their work and some of that work was reviews. He named one outlet in particular, Our Family Plays Games. Our Family Plays Games has utterly denied that accusation and in an exchange on Jamie's blog post, Jamie apologised for saying that and withdrew that part of the post at a later date. This has prompted much debate in the Twitch sphere as to the nature of paid content, if paid reviews exist, etc, etc. There's not a huge story here. This kind of rumor comes around every now and again. And I honestly don't know if it's true or not, if people are actually getting paid for reviews or not. But I kind of wanted to talk about it a little because it's kind of a subject close to my own heart. We're try- we are try to be as open as possible on The Giant Brain about the where we get copies from. We always say whether we've bought the copy ourselves, if it's a copy that's been given to us by a publisher. To try to be as open as possible with any potential biases on our content. I personally have absolutely no problem with anyone getting paid for how to play tutorial videos or or writing, anything that is basically sort of promotional material. You should absolutely get paid for that kind of thing. If it's marketing, if it's tutorials, that is work that is worth paid for. And there's a load of people that do really good work and they should absolutely be paid what they're worth. However, 
if you are getting paid for reviews, if you are basically passing off your critical opinion to your audience as genuine, but are actually getting paid, then you can get in the sea. Because that is a complete ethical no-no. If your favourite film reviewers, if you if you heard that your favourite film reviewers were getting paid directly by the studios for their opinions, you wouldn't trust them anymore, would you? And it's the same thing here. Now, there has been a very good point raised during this recent round of talking about this, about issues of privilege, because a lot of reviewers are obviously white men, like myself. And one of the reasons that is, is because we tend to have more disposable income and a bit more free time, so we can do this kind of thing and build up audiences. And there is definitely questions to be asked there about how we can get more diverse voices into reviewing and criticism. Getting paid directly for it is not the answer. I don't know what is, but if you're getting paid directly for your critical opinion, you're not a reviewer, you're a marketer. And pretty much British and American law certainly agrees with me on this one. You cannot be paid for a review that's against the law. Anyway, I'm going to go and calm down in a corner now, and uh, Jamie's going to tell you about some lovely awards that have happened. Don't worry, you'll, you'll be alright, mate. You'll, you'll be fine. Yes, it's time to dust off the awards Homburg again. Time for the Spiele des Jahres winners of 2021. In a lavish ceremony on the 19th of July... Micro Macro, Crime City by Johannes Sich, published by Edition Spielweise, was the winner of the Spiele des Jahres Award. And the winner of the Kennerspiel, the, uh, the the heavier game, the, the connoisseur game, I've never really found a translation that I, I think is most appropriate, is uh, Paleo by Peter Rustemeyer, published by Hams im Gluck. Now, congratulations to those winners. There was uh, you know, a, a great award ceremony. Good to see that the Spiele des Jahres is still going on this year. Also, the Spiele des Jahres company has announced it will be donating 5,000 euros to aid in the flood relief effort in the Rhein-Erft district uh, after the catastrophic flooding that we've seen in Germany with, sad to say, a great loss of life. An area I used to visit when I was, uh, uh, when I was at school as well. Uh, some, of, some, of the, some of my parents' friends from that region have had their houses destroyed and the, the flooding is truly horrendous. The thoughts of everyone at the giant brain are with those affected by... This the utterly awful weather that's happening worldwide, and I hope things are going to change. I really do hope things are going to change. Into what is climate change anyway? Is this is this happening or not? Seriously, okay, I'm going to take a breath. Um, yeah, let, yeah go, go on to the next award, Jamie. We go on to the next award. I think that's another podcast or an, possibly an entire series of podcasts. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not going to get involved in this again. Anyway, this is. Uh, Another announcement, as I said at the top, the Diana Jones Award, uh, regarded as one of the the most prestigious, probably along with the Spieler Award, um, a very interesting prize handed out by the Tabletop Hobby, and an unusually shaped one as well. Uh, if you don't know about this Diana Jones Award, it is a perspex pyramid housing one of the last pieces of the infamous TSR, that is the original TSR that uh, originally uh, was involved in publishing Dungeons and Dragons back in the day, uh, version of the Indiana Jones RPG. Now, that RPG was so poorly received that the entire stock was recalled and destroyed with the only surviving piece, the words Diana Jones on it, encased in that Perspex pyramid. Handed out every year to, to not just games, but 
a lot of aspects of the gaming hobby itself are considered. This year's nominees are Big Bad Cons, Babble on Equity Project, and POC Programming, which is a program designed to bring people of colour to Big Bad Con in the United States by paying for their travel and accommodation, uh, set up by Orion Black, who is really doing fantastic work uh, in America for the tabletop hobby. We also have The Game Crafter, a print-on-demand company that allows designers to print small runs of board and card games, or indeed, just one at a time. Very good in this more ecologically and environmentally conscious world that we hopefully are moving into. We also have Nipcard Games, a company that's at the centre of the burgeoning tabletop scene in Nigeria, responsible for publishing its own games and hosting game nights, and is currently crowdfunding for a convention. Fantastic. Mike Pondsmith, RPG designer and one of the founders of R. Talsorian Games, responsible for a slew of titles including the Cyberpunk series and The Witcher pen and paper role-playing game. We also have Session Zero Online, a Southeast Asian online RPG convention. And we also have Wingspan, the frankly juggernaut game from Elizabeth Hargrave. Beautiful design, beautiful birds, beautiful beautiful beauty yeah <laughs> uh the awards itself they will be announced at gen con which this year is going to be on the 15th of september now alongside the award the committee has also announced the diana jones emerging designer program i shall quote from the website the program seeks to highlight rising and impactful talent in the analog tabletop game industry it takes special care to focus on communities that have historically been excluded from the larger industry conversations the chosen designer and their work will be showcased during our annual awards event. We are excited for the opportunity to highlight creators whose breakout designs push the industry forward towards better and more inclusive storytelling while enriching gaming as a whole. Diana Jones Award's really cool. And this uh, Diana Jones Emerging Designer Program sounds awesome. Yeah, no, I really like the Diana Jones Awards. It's always diverse. It's always interesting. It doesn't restrict itself to particular games or designers, but isn't afraid to go there when it needs to and takes in the whole of the hobby. I, I, it, it used to be more a little bit more RPG focused, but it's definitely expanded over the years. And yeah, there's some really cool things in there, some stuff I hadn't heard of, which is great. I, I love it when these awards use their presence to bring attention to little known areas of the hobby. It's always good. Great stuff. Little known. I don't know about little known areas of the hobby that deserve more. Not deserve. That sounds bad. Deserve. I mean, could do with more attention. More like uh, areas of the hobby that I didn't know about personally. I mean, uh, I'd heard of Nibcard Games, certainly. Sessions Zero Online I didn't know about. And the Big Bad Cons, Babylon, Equity Project I hadn't heard about either. That's great stuff. And that, that's the sort of project that I was talking about earlier that we could. that is a sort of thing we could look at for helping reviewers, critics, that kind of thing actually get paid for their work is if there's more funds like that kind of thing to bring people to cons then there's a bit more money in it for people to actually do this kind of thing rather than being paid directly by publishers so those kind of funds are i think a really important step of that of getting that sorted out you say jamie that the diana jones award is is more of a wide-ranging um award for the the analog table tabletop industry what are you talking about well some of the previous winners uh include what well, for last year it was uh black excellence in gaming and 2019 for example was uh starcrossed uh, designed by alex roberts uh and 2018 just you know i'm reading this straight off the website is the actual play movement uh within hobby games 
It's not just games. It's not just designers. It's not just conventions. It is such a broad scope. It's a broad church. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Enough of my waffling. Now, on to the news. A couple of updates for you from a few casts ago. Last time on the cast, we spoke about how UK Games Expo had kind of washed its hands of any of the responsibility to its attendees in terms of protecting them from the pandemic, basically saying that they wouldn't be enforcing mask wearing or COVID tests anymore as they'd originally intended to. Well, despite the UK, well, English uh, government plowing on with lifting all COVID restrictions, Expo has changed tack and is now asking attendees to bring a mask and wear it whilst inside the venue unless you are medically exempt. They are also asking attendees to bring proof of low risk of COVID transmission, be that a certificate, some sort of app-based evidence. There was originally a should in these requirements, so we were unsure exactly how vigorously they would be uh, imposing this restriction. But as of today of recording, the 23rd of July, there's been a further update to their COVID restrictions, and this has now been updated to a mandatory requirement, so you'll be absolutely required to provide proof of a negative COVID test however that is done, whether that's through letter or app or however. There's a bunch of instructions on the site uh, for people coming from further afield from other countries, so please do go and read that. We hope that everyone has a good time at Expo. I personally think it's a bad idea for this event to go ahead still. The cases in England are rising exponentially. They're doubling almost every few days. And this pandemic is still here with us. And even if it has hospital-level ventilation, as the, the site claims you're still all going to be inside with hundreds of other people and you're playing board games with strangers. And I I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a good idea. I want it to be a good idea. I'd love to go back, but ugh. We'll see what happens. Um, when you said some kind of evidence, um, they are asking if possible for the NHS COVID pass, which should, yes. which should be available through the NHS app, which is not the NHS COVID app. It's a very different thing. Um, and there is a, a a button on there, yes, to get to get a COVID pass. Yeah, there are there are there are fairly decent instructions on their COVID uh, part of their site. So please do go and read those if you're attending, because there's a lot of information there that you're going to need to know. Anyway, Jamie, old white guys are back. I mean, doing old white guy things. I mean, woo. I mean, it's a sad indictment upon the industry that we are going through most days with old white men being old white men. Uh, but uh, this is another little update. Now, back in episode 65, we reported on the views of board game designer Phil Eklund when it came to the COVID-19 pandemic, in which he had posted he believed COVID should not have been classified as a pandemic and that voluntary measures were as effective as government-mandated lockdowns and restrictions. Now, he has... Come back again, uh, commenting on the subject of gender and sex. In a footnote from his new game, he misuses the terms gender and sex, and then proceeds over a very long thread on the Ion Games Discord to not understand the problem despite the efforts of some very patient members of the community. Now, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to go over this entire thread, uh, but we will be linked in the show notes, and I would recommend you have a look at it if you're interested. Um, a lot of it is, as I said, 
very patient members of the community going the discourse on gender and sex has changed and i think you should be using other terms and, and updating your uh, your vocabulary and how you use it and he's kind of going well no at this time ion games design has not made a comment on eklund's footnote or the debate that happened they have previously refused to cut ties with eklund and continue to publish his work i mean you may be an rocket scientist but it doesn't make you an authority on all areas of human knowledge and fair play to the members of that discord community because i i haven't read the whole thread because it is extremely lengthy but i've read quite a bit of it and there's a lot of very patient members of that community trying to with all the will in the world to explain to phil eckland why he's wrong on using these terms in the way he is and why he needs to update his terms he's basically using definitions that are a decade old that and science has moved on the information's moved on our understanding of things has moved on and if he's making these sort of simulationist games which he's kind of famous for and trying to like trying to push forward ideas of science he needs to be updated on how science works and like different areas of it he's not an expert on everything and he should realize that and his footnotes are kind of famous for being a bit infamous dodgy. that's infamous yeah and that is the end of our updates as usual if we have any updates from news stories that we have covered we will put them after the headlines top of the news for the news ian we have news from gamma again so last time on the cast we reported on the game manufacturers association or gamma attempts to restructure itself to to present a more diverse uh, membership and also invite in more people to its its membership role now it's announced that it is putting up a horizons fellowship program which includes a thirty thousand dollar accelerator fund aimed at underrepresented communities in the game industry the fund was established by the diversity and inclusion committee within gamma and it's open to businesses that are at least 51 percent owned and or operated by a member of underrepresented communities those eligible can apply in one of four categories Prospective publisher in the process of creating a game for the first time or starting a publishing business. Recently new publishers already producing games. Prospective retailer in the process of opening a business. And recently new retailers already selling games. Successful applicants will receive monthly mentoring sessions, a year's complimentary membership to Gamma itself, a $1,000 grant to spend on their businesses, and free admission to Gamma Expo 2022 with free hotel stay and reimbursement of up to $1,000 in travel expenses to the show. In addition, one retailer and one publisher will receive an additional $5,000 when the fellowship ends, but there are no details at this time at how that will be determined. If you are eligible, you can apply from July 26th on the Gamma website, with the program launching in October 2021, and all the details can be found on Gamma's site that we will link to. Again, this is one of those funds that I'm I'm really happy to see. It's it's going to help new. I mean, in this case, it's publishers and retailers, so it's people that are creating games and selling us games. But I would love to see this kind of thing aimed towards the content creator side of things, so writers, vi- video producers, reviewers, and critics, so they can actually get paid for their work while detaching themselves from publishers. Again, that will help with bringing more diverse voices into the hobby. I'd love to see this kind of fund happen for critics, effectively, for reviewers. That would be really, really good. It's definitely one of the way to do things, and maybe we'll see something like that down the line. Great great work by Gamma, and yeah, hopefully we'll actually see it bear fruit. Hope so. Jamie, you've dusted off your awards, Homburg, but it's time for the financial pants. I've washed them. Ah, the financial trousers. Now, possibly as a result of the 2020 COVID pandemic, 
hobby sales have been doing really, really well. And we have some financial evidence for that uh, from North America, thanks to ICV2. Now, according to this study, hobby game sales grew 21% in the United States and Canada to hit $2.035 billion in 2020. That's, uh, if you don't want to do the maths, that's up from $1.675 billion the previous year. All categories of uh, hobby games have been up, with collectible card games contributing the biggest portion of the growth, 24%. And RPGs had the highest percentage growth at 31%, which was $105 million. Now, sources of the growth are mostly online, with specialty retail chains down, which is a bit of a shame. Because support yeah. your support your friendly local game store uh, or Unsur- your friendly local online store. Yeah, but still, yeah, our hobby is continuing to grow, and I don't want to say that a pandemic was a good thing because it absolutely wasn't. But it's good to see that um, we're moving past teething problems of a of a juvenile industry. We've moved beyond that a long time ago, and I know I've said you know oh we're a young industry a couple of times before. I'm trying to. I'm changing my opinion about it. Let's get things sorted, okay? And that's not as easy as saying that. Of course it's not as easy as saying that. No. We need to, at the very least, at the very, very least, get our mental gears going, going, this is not a dual industry anymore, going, oh, we, we didn't know any better. We didn't realise that this was going to offend people who weren't making that much money and counterfeit us. Never. No, this is a big flipping industry. Get used to it. That's that's us told. Anyway, talking about things growing, we'd like to thank all our patrons for continuing to support us through all the recent weird times, especially our executive producer, Sean Newman, uh, from the Gamelot team. We'll link to all of Sean's uh, bits and pieces in the show notes. You can support us as well on our Patreon. It's only $1 a month to get an extended version of the cast and access to a sort of forward-thinking article we do every month to look forward to what we're going to be doing in the coming month and various extra bits and pieces, as well as exclusive access to channels on our Discord. There are various ways to support us on the site, and we'll link to those in the show notes. Every now and again, we like to shout out little bits and pieces we've come across on the net that we think are really worth reading. And it was an interesting thing I came across today that The Atlantic uh, published an article on the subject of colonialism in board games. You'll remember that we recommended a little while ago the excellent, no pun included, video on colonialism, which was absolutely fantastic. Do go and check that out. Well, it's now The Atlantic's turn to pick up on this borny subject in the hobby with a take on how colonialism has been represented in the hobby and how it's basically not acceptable anymore and the changes that are being made within that was some information that some of the people famous uh, like alexander fister recently released maracaibo in the not too distant past it was very well received a game with very colonial themes that's gained an expansion uh, about uh, about the indigenous people of the, the area that it's set in a bit more and also some games that have traditionally had colonial themes like puerto rico and I believe Mombasa are both getting reprints to take out those factors in the game. Because let's face it, a lot of these Euro games, the theme is kind of thin, and they don't really need to be a theme around colonialism. They could be something else. But a lot of them are created, as the name suggests. Not all of them. A lot of them are created in Europe, which, funnily enough, is the centre of colonialism, oppression, slavery, exploitation, whatever words you want to use for it that are all various shades of abhorrent. 
and yeah and if people yeah. go going but it teaches us history well it teaches it gamifies a part of it it i'd like i'd like to actually address that because i saw someone on twitter saying like these games allow us to like think about you know those things and if the theme and mechanics were more tied together i'd kind of agree with that maybe like if the mechanics actually sort of forced us into like thinking about our actions and and what they meant in the historical context i would agree but they rarely do it allows you to think about it it's more than a it's it's almost nothing more than a passing thought going oh there's a yeah slavery cards or tokens oh that's not good right anyway moving on with the rest of my turn yeah exactly exactly but if, if the mechanics were more closely tied to, to those themes of colonialism and, and sort of a, a, I mean, like Spirit Island, for instance, is extremely an anti-colonial game, and it's the theme is very there, and it's tied into the mechanics really hard, and it does make you think about that kind of thing. So, yeah, I would agree with that sentiment if themes and mechanics were more tied together in these games, but they're not. When you say theme, do you mean do you mean, do you mean theme or do you mean setting? Ooh, good question. Because because as because I believe has been pointed out in in several kind of video essays, I think. The words theme and setting are used interchangeably when actually we should yeah. be we should be splitting up and setting is actually you know trading in the Mediterranean or trading in the Caribbean which involves slavery. I, I definitely mean theme because we're talking about the the theme of colonialism within the game. Okay, and it, we basically don't think about it other than how many points can I get for trading these pineapples. Okay, uh, yeah. Okay. So I do mean theme. Yeah, it's a fair point to bring up though. Uh, but yeah, I do mean theme. Uh, Sandy Peterson doesn't like this conversation very much, though, and we'll link to the, that Twitter thread of another old white guy being wrong about things. It, it could be an entire series of podcasts. We'll link to that in the show notes. We just wanted also to take a moment right now to briefly mention the Activision Blizzard lawsuit. If you've been paying any attention to the computer game world over the last couple of weeks, uh, there's a lawsuit going against Activision Blizzard in California, I believe is where this lawsuit has been filed. And the details of that lawsuit started to come out recently, and there's been some horrendous behavior against women in the company, absolutely horrible allegations coming out of there. And we would just like to say that if you're if you're in a games company, if you're unhappy with the way you're being treated, if whatever gender you are, if if you if you feel the company you're working for is mistreating you in some way or form, and you want someone to speak out about that, but aren't wanting to do it yourself please get in touch with us we want to know about those kind of things going on in the industry and we are willing to speak up so please do get in touch with us you can get in touch with us anonymously we will not use your name in any articles do get in touch with us if anything like that is happening to you and you work for board game industry you work in the board game industry please do get in touch yeah we want to absolutely stand by you and talk about those kind of things if you're subject to any of that kind of abuse that's been any sort of abuse that's been described in the Activision Blizzard lawsuit or anything like that. We really want to hear from you and we'll absolutely not use your name in anything. Please do get in touch with us. It's always important to remember this is not just the big companies. The fact yeah, that exactly. Activision Blizzard is not the scapegoat, but it's the one that is currently in vogue. Last year, Ubisoft uh, came yeah. under fire for several allegations. They've been harboring uh, sexual abusers for a long time going all the way to the top and what has happened very little that company continues to harbor uh sexual predators and sexual um abusers yeah and this needs this needs to stop and this goes all the way back to not only the big companies it also goes to indie companies so 
you got to remember yeah. this. This thing is rotten to the core. Should we burn it down and start all again? Maybe that's a little extreme. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Oh, no. Slightly more lighthearted. No, let's uh, wrap this cast up. Now, with Loki entrenching itself in the public pop culture consciousness, say that ten times fast after you've had a few pints, it's time for that venerable board game license to step up and deliver a monopoly based on another most recent Marvel TV series. Yes, can you live up to Captain America's legacy in a post-blip world? This is Falcon and the Winter Soldier Monopoly. Playing as Bucky Barnes, Sam Wilson... John Walker, Sharon Carter, Baron Zemo, and more. You travel from giving up the shield to rise of a new hero. Buying three different types of property to add stars or cap shields to improve them. With stations being various types of beings encountered in the Marvel Universe. Draw from the legacy of the shield and flag smasher decks. I haven't seen it. I haven't watched really any of the Marvel tv thing i'm not trying to be contrary and going oh look at me i've not even watched it how good am i i just i just haven't watched it it yeah, doesn't. yeah neither have i i've seen loki and wandavision they're both okay fair enough <laughs> there but, you go that's my review there we go, there we I go. got paid for that we moved on. <laughs> what, how much i talked about getting paid for things uh i've decided to use my vast reviewing profits to buy a house jamie yeah a lovely right. lovely house yeah right man what's the worst that could happen Absolutely, nothing bad could happen in this house. So Cluedo, or Clue if you're in North America, was created by English musician Anthony E. Pratt and his wife Elva Pratt, who also made the original board artwork uh, in Birmingham in 1943. It's probably considered one of the classic games. Obviously, it's not as old as chess or Royal Game Vera, but it's it, you know it's a traditional classic family game. The Tudor Close Hotel that inspired the iconic manor has been divided into houses, and one of them is now on the market. Described as a four-bed terraced house, Tudor Close in Rottingdean in Brighton and Hove was built in the 20s and renovated in 1937. Adding some of the now iconic rooms of, well, Tudor Close, Tudor Hall, Arlington Garage, Body Manor, or Body Mansion. Arlington, body Mansion? Arlington Grange. A Body Mansion. Uh, yeah, because... Are you, are you trying to tell me that the, the, the place that Clue is based on is also called body mansion well no these these are the various different editions of cluedo or clue as i said in north america um that it's got different names and in america dr black who is the person that was murdered is called mr body and the play and uh. the manor in america is called body manor or body mansion i didn't say it was a subtle game i don't think anyone ever did the house is comprised of the former main entrance, guest foyer, and lounge of the hotel, once frequented by Betty Davis and Cary Grant and Errol Flynn, and even has a real secret passage leading to a bar and the entrance hall. And Jamie, I, I will easily be able to afford this because it's only a cool one million pounds. Oh man, I have one million pounds uh, just sitting in my back pocket, although most of it was gained through exposure. So it's uh, Jamie. Have entirely... you been exposing yourself again? No, it's uh, it's that type of exposure that creatives are paid in. So. You know, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I've paid my rent. I've paid uh, all my bills. I've paid dinners. I've, I've Sainsbury's are very good about accepting that for for vegetables. Yeah, it's quite impressive. Yeah, yeah, you know who's also good. really good for it? The HMRC. They love that's a little bit on the tax form. If they go, um, please state your income th- uh, from exposure. And you know, I mean, I I have to get a separate form because you know the amount of money um, I've I've gained through that. Anyway. While I stop complaining, thank you very much for listening.
If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share this podcast and drop us a wee review and a wee rating on iTunes. Now, you can also follow us on Discord, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on our website, which is giantbrain.co.uk, where you'll find a lot of Ian's reviews and some of his uh, opinion pieces. And if you want to email us any thoughts, opinions, jokes, we like a good joke, send it to giantbrainuk at gmail.com. Everybody, look after yourselves. Stay safe. I know the weather's pretty ridiculous out there. But uh, take care. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah, slap, slap on the sunscreen. Stay safe, folks. Awesome.